So we're going to be looking at Mark chapter 1, verses 21 through 28 this morning. And uh, we'll read that together and then pray. Starting in verse 21. And they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. And immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have we what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice, came out of him. And they were all amazed, so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this, a new teaching with authority? He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Lord, um, we're thankful for your word this morning. We want to um, approach it, Lord, with um, humility. Lord, we um, recognize um, your authority here this morning um, as uh, the, the chief shepherd, Lord, the head of your church, and we pray, Lord, that you would, um, that you would lead us here this morning. <clears throat> Lord, as we um, look at your word, Lord, would you open our hearts to, um, to receive what you want to speak to us this morning, Lord. Um, we pray that your Holy Spirit, Lord, would be here, Lord, ministering, Lord, and we, Lord, confess that we can do nothing without you and that we need you desperately, Lord. And so, um, Lord, would you um, meet us here this morning, Lord? We want to respond to um, to your word this morning. We want to respond to the text, Lord, and we want to be um, changed and transformed by it, Lord. We want to see you um, in this new light as Mark um, just paints this picture of you as um, the authoritative Son of God. And so be with us as we look at your word this morning, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Amen. So it's a it's it's an interesting passage, and um, it's kind of like the first bit where we see a little bit of dialogue. And, and for me, I, I, I'm always kind of like torn when I'm reading it because like I feel like when I'm coming, coming across these passages, like they're, they're ideal for, you know, like actually trying to put emphasis on what the people are saying, but I'm really terrible at like dramatic speaking in that sense. So when I come across it, like in my head, it's really dramatic, but when I read it, it's not so dramatic. Um, but but the scene here is is way more intense and way more dramatic than my reading of it, um, you know, communicates. And um, it, it really is a, a twofold kind of situation here, where Jesus displays authority in his teaching, and then that that authority is then demonstrated in his encounter with uh, this uh, demon possessed man. So the first thing that Mark notes is um, that Jesus is here in Capernaum. And uh, this, this time that, uh, in the synagogue is taking place on the Sabbath. And um, it's worth it to note that because this week we're going we're gonna to cover um, this, this vignette here that takes place in the synagogue. But it, the whole kind of verses of 21 to 34, um, we're only going to 28 today, but that whole kind of chunk takes place on the Sabbath. And... Um, and the way that like it's kind of divided up is this morning portion uh, is 
taking place up to 28 in the synagogue. And then uh, next week we'll do deal with the afternoon and evening portions of uh, the Sabbath. Uh, but it's the Sabbath morning here, and they're in the synagogue um, in Capernaum. Now, uh, Jewish synagogues within like rabbinic tradition were more of a, a, a gathering place of worship. They weren't so much... Um, you know, they were more like assembly halls or, or auditoriums, uh, similar to kind of like what what we have here this morning. But they were different than the temple. There was only one uh, temple that existed in Jerusalem. In synagogues, there were no um, like animal sacrifices or things done of that nature. But they were set up throughout the Mediterranean world where in any uh, area where there were 10 or more uh, male uh, Jewish uh, people over the age of uh, 13. So that kind of was like what constituted like, okay, a synagogue can go here. They, there's requirements for that. And, but, but the, the primary purpose was for um, these men to gather and look at the Torah and expound upon it. Um, and so what happens here is this particular morning, Jesus is the one who kind of rolls into the synagogue. Um, it's, it says immediately on the Sabbath, speaking more to the, um, the early portion of the day, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. Now, it, it's interesting to note that Jesus was teaching here because the ruler of the synagogue, and each synagogue kind of had a main ruler, but that person's job actually wasn't to, to preach or expound uh, the Torah. They were just to oversee it. But um, a lot of the, the preaching and teaching fell to scribes or to, uh, to laity, actually. And on this particular morning, um, it's Jesus. He, he rolls in, and he preaches here. If you look at verse 22... This is what it says uh, regarding that. He says, uh, so Jesus rolls in his teaching, and verse 22, and they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So on this, uh, on this occasion, Jesus is teaching, but there's scribes present um, who, who are in the group. And it's, they, they make a note, Mark makes a note to contrast Jesus against these people who were the scribes. And, and the scribes were um, a group of people who were very highly esteemed within that culture. They were, uh, they were a couple things. They were experts in the Torah or the law. And um, in the Jewish world, the word scribe, it came to designate an expert in the Torah. And uh, we actually see that Ezra was the first scribe. If you look at uh, Ezra 7.6, regarding um, Ezra, it, it notes, he was a scribe skilled in the law of Moses that the Lord, the God of Israel, had given. So these scribes were first to be experts in the law, in the Torah, and they were capable of issuing um, like major decisions regarding its interpretation. And so their knowledge and the way that they uh, came about having that knowledge, it was really highly esteemed. And if you were a scribe, you were, you were, you held like a really, really high position within, um, society in this nature, especially because, um, so scribes were also, they were one of the only, uh, 
groups that was allowed to be a part of the Sanhedrin Council. Uh, unless you were a part of the family there, um, you were also allowed to be uh, to, to be a part of that council. And then also they were they were legal jurists in in a kind of a broader sense of that term, and so they held kind of like this multiple. Um, like they, they held quite a few offices. It was like a multi-office position that encompassed a lot within their culture. So, you know, they were, they were highly esteemed in that sense. They were um, Torah professors, they were teachers, they were moralists, and they were also legal jurists in, in that sense. But their first, um, their first duty was to the law or to the Torah there. Additionally, uh, rabbinical tradition speaks of the scribes being the most respected members of the synagogue. And so for them to be there on occasion, they would have been highly uh, respected. And oftentimes the, the first seats were reserved for scribes um, in the synagogue. And when they would enter into the room, uh, people would stand to their feet in, in respect. They were highly respected members here. And, and they were seen as, you know, the most important within the synagogue. But yet, Mark uses them as a contrast here to deal um, with Jesus' authority versus their authority. And for the most part, throughout the book of Mark, scribes kind of play like this oppositional role to Jesus. Um, every time you kind of see them mentioned, they're, they're kind of just... They're, they're seen as more outsiders. Um, you would think that them being, uh, they being, um, you know, experts in the law, that they would be immediately insiders because of their knowledge of it, but partly because they were custodians of the law, and Jesus was kind of bringing this new authority, it didn't quite sit right with them. So whenever you see them mentioned it almost seems like they're always kind of in a fight with Jesus. You know, it always seems like there's conflict surrounding scribes. And so Mark here, he's contrasting the two, and he's, he's seeking to highlight Jesus's authority here. If you look back um, at verse 22, what he says regarding, um, regarding them, he says, they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. So Mark makes his statement contrasting the two, but his statement that Jesus taught as one having authority and not as the scribes isn't so much of a slam as like the scribes have no authority because clearly they were esteemed highly within their culture, but it's more of uh, a statement to say, look at the authority with which Jesus teaches. Like he was so different in the way that he was communicating because clearly the scribes had authority, but they, he was saying it, the way that Jesus taught, it was as if the scribes had no authority. Because the, the way that um, Jesus taught, he taught with his own authority, the authority that he received at the baptism um, that we saw in previous weeks in uh, Mark 1, uh, 11 there. But the way that Jesus communicates and the way that he teaches is he's communicating in a way where he appeals to himself. Because in the, in the traditions here and the people who would break down the law, the scribes who would communicate, what they would do is they would reference, um, you know, other, 
like traditions or other elders that came before them. And they had different uh, rabbis that they would quote. And so they would say, well, they would look at the law and they would say, well, rabbi so-and-so says this regarding this. And rabbi so-and-so says, you know, this regarding, you know, this portion of the law. And, and their commentary would, would come based upon uh, the teachings of other rabbis. And they would kind of quote and find the prominent uh, members um, of their society and quote those rabbis. But when Jesus comes, what he does is he receives his authority directly from God. And so when he teaches, he doesn't say, Rabbi so-and-so says this. He communicates in a way where he says, I say this. His, his teaching is, is so startling within uh, this, this synagogue, within this culture, because he doesn't stand upon the authority of others who have come before him. He is preaching um, in his own authority. He appeals to that authority that was given to him uh, by God. Now, Mark uses this term here, the, the word that he uses for authority. He uses it, it's, it's, a really, um, it's a really strong word, and he uses it in this kind of like hinging phrase. Or, uh, he uses it as a hinge almost. Um, where you, The first time you see it where is where he's talking about he has authority in his teaching. And then the next time we see it later down um, in the chapter, it talks about him having authority over a demon. And so it's kind of like this, um, th these bookends that he uses. And, and as interesting as I was kind of studying um, the, the structure of Mark and how he lays it out, he, a lot of commentaries use this phrase, Mark and sandwiches. I thought that was really, uh, really interesting, Mark and sandwiches, because they use it kind of as, a, as like, you know, two pieces of bread. There's like side A, and then there's like a B, and then there's another A on the other side. And so Mark almost uses like this word authority to kind of bookend each of these things, each of these events to show, you know, Jesus has authority over, uh, Jesus preaches with authority, people are astonished. Jesus has authority over demons, people are astonished. And he, he kind of uses these in, in um, a specific structure here. But he uses this to define um, this defining term of authority at the beginning of Jesus's ministry to do two things here. It establishes his authority over the first thing that we see is the temporal realm with men. His authority is not referencing other scribes and other leaders, but it, his authority is in himself and is from God. And then secondly, we see him uh, with a supernatural authority as he deals later with this demon um, in verse 23. And so as soon as he uh, communicates this, uh, as, he's, as he's preaching here in the synagogue, it says that uh, the people here are astonished. And I was trying to kind of, kind of come up with like a way to describe this word because it, the Greek um, origin of this word, it's very strong. It actually means to strike out, uh, to expel by blow drive out or away, to strike one out of self-possession, to strike with panic or shock, to be struck with astonishment or amazed. And I was like trying to figure out like the best way to communicate the weightiness of the word. And as I looked into it a little further, actually the way that like the, the astonishment, because astonishment to us kind of, you know, it's kind of like everything is so played out for us. 
these days, you know, like you see like, you know, things on like YouTube and you're like, stuff that like was, would be just nuts like 20 years ago, it's just kind of like everybody's doing that. You know, it's just everything is so commonplace now. And so like, there's very few times when like, when in our, in our day and age where we're actually like astonished or amazed. But as I was looking at the word here, the, the, the phrasing is actually so, um, it's so striking. Actually, what it, what it leads to it, the, in the root, it actually leads to um, the idea of like getting the wind knocked out of you to where, you know, it's like this strike or this blow to where all of a sudden, like, you know, if, if you've ever had the wind knocked out of you, you know, if, if you've uh, been hit playing a game or you've fallen and all of a sudden, like, you can't breathe and it's just like you don't know what just happened and every like you know you're almost just like in a sheer panic as to like what just came upon you you don't actually know what happened but it's just like you've been completely like emptied of that um you know or if uh, I was I was watching I was watching on the internet the other day like the uh it was like something where like they were interviewing some somebody and then, like, in the background, like, you just see this car going across the street, and then another car just T-bones it. it. Like, and it's just, like, a terrible accident. And everybody actually ended up being fine. But you just see, like, in that moment, like, there's, like, amazement upon people's face. Like, they're in shock. Like, they're totally into interviewing this person, and then all of a sudden it's just, boom, what just happened? And everybody is just floored as to like the the impact of what just happened here and occasionally you know like also there'll be like moments where you actually are on youtube and you're just seeing something for the first time and you're just like there's no way that just happened i mean there's like a handful of like things like that and, and so in our modern day and age there's not really like a way for us to like have the weightiness of this word um where like they're astonished but like they're in shock as to like what just happened here. It's not just like they were like, this is crazy. Like they're like, they're floored as to what is happening with Jesus' teaching here. Mark makes a note about the congregation's ama like amazement about Jesus' teaching. But again, like earlier on, he doesn't communicate to us what the teaching is. And what he's letting happen here is he's letting the accent fall upon the teacher is the one with authority. The teaching is not necessarily as important as the teacher. The people remark, not they remark about the teaching, but they remark that he has authority, that he references himself as, uh, as the ultimate source in his teaching. Now, as he finishes teaching here, then, like, the second crazy thing happens because he's teaching, people are floored, and then, like, out of nowhere, then we look at verse 23, just something nuts happens in the church. You know, they're in the synagogue in verse 23, and immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So, like, Jesus just finished his teaching. People are, like, blown away. And then out of nowhere, like, this crazy demon-possessed guy just comes, like, 
in the middle of uh, the synagogue and is just getting crazy, calling Jesus out. <clears throat> so it's just, it, Jesus' authority is demonstrated over, over Scripture and over uh, the temporal realm. And now he has like this encounter with the supernatural realm. He's, this is this encounter facing off, um, you know, with a representative of the kingdom of evil and who was the, the ultimate opponent. And so this person um, shows up on the scene. The, the text indicates it's a man with an unclean spirit. And unclean, you know, we know it's a, a man who's demon-possessed, but within their culture, unclean indicated someone who was polluted or contaminated. And that, of course, led to someone who was ungodly um, in their mind. But this, this demon-possessed person, he speaks out regarding uh, Jesus. He says, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So the demon, this is like one of the freakiest things ever. I was reading it. I was just kind of like getting the chills. Like, this is weird. This is really, really weird. You know, and I just, I picture like the weirdest, like freakiest voice when I was reading it. And it's just someone calling Jesus out. But he, the demon here, he refers to itself in the plural, you know, and there might be reasons because it's, it's him and, you know, referring to a plurality uh, of demons or perhaps him and the person that he has possessed. Um, but also, if you, if you look at the way that he communicates and, and who, um, the things that he says, it also could refer to his understanding that Jesus has come to defeat the whole demonic power structure. So more speaking in general here. So it's interesting to note, though, within here also, like Jesus is in the middle of the synagogue, he's preaching, he has this authority, and yet this is like the second time where we see like someone like knows who Jesus is. And um, you remember Mark has like this kind of like theme that he runs through the whole book. It's the, the idea of like the messianic secret motif where like people in the story don't really know who Jesus is, but the demons know who Jesus is. And they call him out right away. You know, they say, um, they say, you know, I know who you are. And it, again, in this situation, like Jesus is proving who he is and the demons know who he is. And it seems to be like there's like, again, this ironic contrast that, it, you know, they're in like a realm, uh, a spiritual, you know, center, a place where the, the law is taught, where like people should know who Jesus is, but they don't know who he is. And like, the enemy knows who Jesus is. It's almost like there's kind of like this ironic circumstance here between the crowd being totally ignorant and the demon's like total assurance of like, I know who you are. And the demon knows exactly who Jesus is. And it's not because Jesus isn't like a, a regular sort of like exorcist that like, you know, they were intimidated by, but they knew um, where they knew what was going to happen. Um, they knew that it was prophesied that uh, that Jesus would come, and 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 part of His coming, part of God's uh, kingdom coming, would be that He would cast out uh, unclean spirits. Jesus is um, 
he, he's not showing up on the scene to deal with the demon as like an exorcist, but rather as the fulfillment of this prophecy. If you look at uh, Zechariah 13.2, here's a note regarding this um, portion. He says, um, And on that day, declares the Lord of hosts, I will cut off the names of the idols from the land so that they shall be remembered no more. And I will also remove from the land the prophets and the spirit of uncleanness. So this, this spirit, you know, knowing that Jesus is a marker of the kingdom of God coming, he calls Jesus out, and he and he's correct in calling Jesus out. He knows who Jesus is, but look at how Jesus deals with the claim. Well, he does, like, almost immediately upon the demon making the claim, Jesus just tells him, like, be quiet, like, don't talk. And his, his phrasing there is actually, it's, it's a little bit more interesting than that. Um, I thought it was actually kind of humorous because he actually says, he says, be silent or be muzzled. But in the original um, language there, it's actually more of like a, a sharp cutoff or like something that would be almost like slangish or rude. What he actually says uh, more realis- realistically is shut up or shut your trap. And the word actually isn't used very often because, like, you can't, like, you know, it's not, like, really, like, a proper thing to say. But Jesus is, well, like, had rightful authority with which to say it, <laughs> to say it, you know. Um, but the reason that he didn't, that he told this uh, demon to shut up was, one, because, um, was primarily because Jesus wouldn't accept um his opposition being someone who would herald who he was. The, the demonic spirit wasn't the Holy Spirit. It couldn't bear witness to who Jesus was. And so he uh, rebukes the spirit and tells this uh, demonic spirit, basically, you know, in short, to shut up. Now, notice what Jesus did do here. And, um, or what, what he didn't do, actually, more, more specifically. What he didn't do was he didn't ignore the fact that there was this demonic spirit. He didn't deny the existence of that realm, or he didn't deny that. Because what happens in our, in our day and age and in our culture, and cultures around the world are a little bit different, but in our culture, you know, there's not, like, a real awareness of, like, the spiritual realm, you know, like, Demons, when you talk to like people about, you know, demonic realm or spiritual realm, it kind of falls into like the same category as like aliens or like Bigfoot sometimes. You know, a lot of it is just kind of like, eh, whatever. Um, it's not real. And, and, but Jesus doesn't ignore what's happening here. He deals with this, um, this spirit, um, right away. He deals with it and, and acknowledges its existence because the dangers that exist within like our world in dealing with the spirit realm are this. It's basically either like you totally ignore the fact that Satan is real and that the demonic realm is real and that we fight a spiritual battle and you either just, it, you don't acknowledge it, society doesn't acknowledge it, or it's the total flip side, which, you know, in, in our culture, the, the kind of the first one of like, ignoring those sorts of things, ignoring the spiritual realm, ignoring that, um, the reality of that, that, that's totally the culture we live in. 
But then in other cultures, you know, especially like in um, like third world cultures, they shift it completely the other way. It's like we know Satan's real and like we're all about it. You know, we there's like a total unhealthy focus upon like demons and satanic power and instead of instead of um, concentrating like upon Christ, there everyone's trying to like you know put their focus on like oh that's a demon or you know there's so much emphasis put upon um, you know so much more weight put upon that culture of dealing with demons and it becomes a part of like you know industry where it's like you can find people to cast out demons for you and it's a business thing and you know it's just that's what it's all about within those cultures but as christians you know we need to strike a balance between the two we need to understand that like those things are real the demonic realm is real you know satan is real and we need to pay attention to it, but not to the point where we're concentrating upon it, where we're putting a, a focus upon it. We need to deal with it in a way where we're looking to Christ and remembering that those things are real, but those are things that we don't have to be afraid of because Christ has defeated Satan. In... Um, one of the things we're also told about spiritual warfare is that we're to know the schemes of the enemy. You know, we're to, we're to put our, our trust in Christ, but we're to be wise to know how the enemy works, to know that he is a, a crafty adversary. But we can have confidence. We don't have to be afraid because Christ um, has overcome for us. Now, note the words of the demon here. He says, have you come to destroy us? He, he's speaking like in this, in this tense where like he knows what the outcome's going to be. He's not confused. He's not like, he's not like you want to throw down. You want to like, you want to fight. He just knows like we've lost. You know, this isn't really like a battle for him. He is. He already knows the end that he faces. The demon knew the outcome, and because th that realm knows the outcome when they stand up against Jesus, that allows us to put our Christ, our our, our faith further in Christ, um, because the enemy knows um, the outcome in the end. And notice what Jesus um, doesn't do. Also, he doesn't engage in like this complex like like process of deliverance it's not like you know like potions or formulas and getting like get this and put this together and shake this stick like three times and you know it, it's not this long process um of deliverance here in the bible driving out spirits it doesn't tend to be like this magical rite or or sense of um spells that come together that you sometimes see in other religions um, and in different um, areas of the world that practice things like that. But the way that Jesus does it and the way that the disciples do it is they bring the good news of Jesus to the person who is possessed. They, they inject Jesus into the situation, and that's just what Jesus does here. Um, he, he comes at the man. 
And he simply, of course, Jesus has the authority, and he simply tells the man, be quiet, and tells the demon, come out of him. And, and Jesus' words are very straightforward and very simple uh, to, him, to this man. He rebukes the spirit, commands it to come out, and then in verse 26, uh, let's look together, it says, and the unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. So this, uh, the spirit that is in the man, it begins shaking him, shaking him violently. Luke actually notes, um, when you look at the same passage in the book of Luke, he actually notes that like the man was like shaking so much that like the spirit like threw him down onto the ground, um, trying to, to harm him. And the verb here literally means, uh, where, where it talks about convulsing, it literally means to, um, to tear or to rend as uh, in, um, in the way that like an animal, um, a carnivore would like tear meat. That, you know, how sometimes you would see uh, an animal that would get bite a piece of meat and then they would shake it and the weight of the meat would, would be moving around so as to like rip off and keep the piece in the animal's mouth. Like that's the type of violence that's happening here. This is, um, it's, it's a convulsing that is designed uh, to rip and to cause harm here. It's not, um, you know, it's not like the set, the type that you would have for like, um, like a sickness or, uh, you know, like a condition, um, you know, that, that are a medical condition. This is uh, something that is purposeful for the destruction of this person. And then also, he notes that, um, that this man with the demon cries out with a loud voice. And it actually, um, it actually is like kind of more accurate to say it's more of like a screeching. Not necessarily like a man's kind of like shouting, but it's more of like a screeching sort of effect. And, and this may be um, actually like a scare tactic that the demon was using here because like it's already like getting crazy you know if you're in the synagogue and, and you're watching this go down like this is already nuts but to hear something like that it's almost like it's a it's a scare tactic or, or something that is used to terrify the the man who the demon is coming out of or also even just the bystanders around you know it's it's a something that would be used to inject fear into those um, who are standing by. But when Jesus commands this spirit to come out, notice it just it doesn't just be like, boom, okay, without without a fight, I'm just gone and the guy's totally fine. Satan doesn't give up his ground easy. You know, and, and I have come to believe that more and more since we've been here. You know? I mean you guys all kind of know, like, even since day one, it's like, okay, we're here to plant a church. Our house gets broken into on the first day and is robbed. Like, that's not a real sweet thing, you know, to kind of kick off your desire to, like, see the Lord come take over a city. I mean, like, it's like, gosh, already? And, you know, even in that first moment, I remember just being like, within a matter of like 30 seconds, everything going through my mind of like, this was a mistake, we're getting out of here, like we're leaving, 
this is a bad idea, someone else should come here, and then the Lord kind of calming my heart and being like, no, you're here, this is why you're supposed to be here, like, fight it out, this isn't, like, an easy battle, you know, and, I mean, man, just with uh, the things that, like, you know, I'm talking to, to you guys, just the things that, like, we've gone through individually and gone through collectively, and just, you know, not to say that everything is the enemy, you know, is the difficulty of the enemy's opposition, um, but there certainly has been, you know, a, a weightiness to some of the situations um, that we've been dealing with, you know, and it's interesting because when we face, um, when, when we encounter hard times, and they're, they're, they're things that are from the Lord, you know, and when it's, when it's a trial that we're going through, the Lord gives us peace in those trials. He gives us the ability to go through those trials. But there's definitely times where you're going through something and it's just something's up. You know, you know it's, it's, it's a part of the battle that we fight. Satan totally doesn't give up his ground easily. Uh, and I know that we see that in, in our lives here, in our church here. And also, you know, it's apparent here just with this very physical manifestation of the convulsing and the screeching and, you know, the, the attempt to cause as much trouble and cause and strike as much fear into the hearts of those people who are watching as possible. Um, you know, he doesn't want to leave. But because Jesus has all supernatural authority, the demon does depart and, you know, in obeying Jesus' command, it does demonstrate that Jesus is the Holy One of God. Um, he uses his supernatural authority, this divine authority that was given to him to accomplish the miracle of separating this uh, man who was possessed by this demon, who was an image, who, you know, like we talked about last week, how we're image bearers of God. And, and he, Jesus is reclaiming this man who is an image bearer of God and is separating this man who was made in the image of God from this demon who has overtaken this man. And um, it's only by his supernatural authority that he can do this. Now, the if you look at some of the other passages, Jesus also teaches on this later, and he talks about how when a demon comes out of someone, the house can be cleaned and it can be swept, and later a demon will come back and it will see that it has not been filled and therefore will take up residence again. And um, we'll, we'll get to that passage in time, but it's worth it to note that, you know, sometimes we'll kind of like, you know, you'll hear of exorcists and things that take demons out, but the, the only true um, thing that will keep demons out is the filling of the Holy Spirit, and that's what Jesus is referencing in that text. The lasting replacement of the Holy Spirit is the thing that will uh, protect um, a person from uh, the works of the enemy here. If, if we look at the book of Ephesians, you know, we were even told there, be filled with the Spirit. And when the Spirit is upon the believer, it empowers the believer, 
and is able to overcome. Because remember, the Holy Spirit is God, and Jesus is God, and you know, obviously we see here that God has authority over this demonic realm. Jesus gave us that authority. He demonstrated that, that no demonic force could ever come against him. If you look at um, Colossians 2, 15, he says this. Uh, it says this, um, Paul writing to the Colossians regarding Jesus. Having disarmed principalities and powers, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them on the cross. So Christ has conquered. Christ has just made a fool out of every uh, demonic activity, every demonic spirit that would come against um, a believer. Now, this man that is delivered here, he goes through a lot, and he's, he's delivered from this demon, and, you know, he's like thrown down, he's screeching, but Jesus is dealing with him. It, it's his defeat of this demon is not at the man's expense, but for the man's benefit. Because what happens here, this spirit is expelled, but Jesus creates, he renews this man who is, again, um, an image bearer of God who is whole and who is able to, you know, come into a relationship with his creator once more. And it's, and it's interesting, you know, to note that, like, again, we remember at the baptism event, that was when the Holy Spirit came and was upon Jesus. And Jesus, who is, you know, the Holy One of God, is able to overcome by, um, by his own authority, but it's because he possesses God's Spirit. And we as Christians are able to overcome in that same sense again because of the Holy Spirit um, that empowers us. Now look at the response of the people here again. In verse 27, after like Jesus does this crazy stuff, this is the second kind of response um, here to what uh, happened with this demoniac. But also in the same kind of portion, we also see their response from the, from the beginning portion as well. It says in verse 27, And they were all amazed so that they questioned among themselves, saying, What is this? a new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. And at once, his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. So this crowd has like this odd reaction. And remember I was talking about, it's kind of like the bookends of, of, the, of the passage here. The, regarding both things, you know, it's the, the theme that kind of runs through the whole passage that we look at this morning is one of Jesus's authority over the temporal realm. He has authority over, um, over you know, earthly things, and then he also has supernatural authority over the uh, supernatural realm. And bookending those things is as people see his authority demonstrated, they're both astonished and amazed. The people in the synagogue remark um, on Jesus's authority here. You know, they're just, like, baffled. They're, like, talking amongst themselves, just like, what is this? They've never seen anything like this. It's, a, it's an amazing thing for them uh, to encounter Jesus in this way. And remember we talked um, in previous weeks about how Jesus was bringing this kingdom of God. And, and this is kind of the first instance where, like, you start to feel, like, 
that amongst the people. It's starting to be felt in a, in a broader manner where before there's been like a couple people, but now like you see the response as Jesus is fulfilling um, and bringing the kingdom of God into reality here. Like all of a sudden you see like in verse 28, it says, and at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Like now it's starting to become a tangible thing where Jesus, or Jesus is, is doing things and like people are getting pumped. And they're, they're excited about what is happening um, with Jesus. But the, the most impressive thing that, that Jesus does in the text, and, and this is the same thing that, um, you know, the, and the purpose that he came for, is his display of compassion for the man who has uh, this demon. Because remember before we were in relationship with Christ, we were um, servants of the enemy. And he came in the same way to save us. In his work upon the cross and his death and resurrection, we were freed, we were set free from being captives of the enemy. And that's kind of the, the, the main thrust of the passage here. It's, it's, it's pointing forward to that which he would do. He, of course, establishes his authority here on earth as, um, you know, as a king. But later, these things, again, point towards where he would eventually end up, where he would set all of humanity free as, um, uh, as he removes the satanic oppression upon um, men and women through his work upon the cross. So as Jesus does this, his, his authority goes, you start to see it kind of go deep, but it also spreads wide at the same time, and his influence begins to grow. And this is just like the beginning of like his like Sabbath day. Like it gets, you know, there's, there's more that we see happen um, in, in the future text, but um, it's just amazing to see the way that Jesus communicates, the way that, um, that his authority that is demonstrated. And, and Mark just makes such great note of it and not communicating necessarily so much of what he taught or what he says, but what he did. And he lets Jesus' actions speak loudly about um, his authority, his compassion, and his love. You know, and we don't get to know what happens to this man, but you know, I would find it hard to see someone, you know, encounter Jesus in this way, to be set free, and for that person not to kind of, you know, fall behind and, and start following Jesus after, you know, he was able to demonstrate such authority. And so perhaps, uh, you know, one day when, uh, when we're in heaven together, maybe we'll run into this guy and figure out, you know, who he is and, you know, get to hear, hear the story. So, um, yeah, it's just a, a great opportunity, um, as I was looking at the text, just to really realize who Jesus is. You know, he's, he's, a, he's a good king who is able um, to defeat, you know, even the things that, the demonic realm that, you know, sometimes can scare us. But we can have confidence, and we don't need to be afraid because of Jesus' authority. So, let's pray.